take a moment, church.
mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love unveiling, grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne. They Uh, good morning, Southview. How are we? Oh, so good to have you with us this morning. It's, uh, it's raining outside. It's a touch cooler. Fall is in the air. We're so glad that you're here today worshiping with us. If you are a guest with us today, again, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us. A couple of quick announcements. One, if you are a guest, we would love for you this morning just to very simply pull out your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT there. A link will be sent to you. Click on that, respond, uh, and just so we can know who you are, know that you are here, we would greatly greatly appreciate that. Also, as you came in, hopefully you grabbed a bulletin. There are some, some great things we want you to know about. Uh, we're in the throes now of Operation Christmas Child Christmas boxes. You can pick those up, fill those in, fill them up, and then bring them back in. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Please do that. I believe November 11th is the cutoff on that. Um, people are yelling at me. What? Am I right? I'm just going to call it that. I don't know. So, Fill those in, bring those in. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, we've got some wonderful things coming up for our military ministry. If you are active duty or veteran, or you're the spouse of active duty or veteran, we'd love for you, number one, to connect with us in our military ministry. Uh, you can just text the word military uh, to sign up uh, for our military ministry. And also, we've got uh, on Veterans Day this year, we're going to do uh, a lunch for you all to uh, thank you and uh, celebrate you and your sacrifice and your service. We appreciate you so, so, so much. So you can find out some more information about that in our bulletin. Sign up for that as well. Uh, also, one more uh, quick announcement. This coming Saturday is Halloween. Uh, I'm excited because at my house we have something called the Daddy Tax, which means I get a cut of all candy that comes in the house. It's fantastic. It's a great deal. So I'm super excited, looking forward to it. But also I'm excited 
because what we do here uh, at, at Southview is instead of doing a big um, fall festival or Halloween outreach here at our church, we do it a slightly different way. We instead ask you to turn your house into your own personal Halloween outreach. Uh, and so and we have over 20 families that are going to be doing that this year all over Hope Mills, Fayetteville, Cumberland County, and beyond, uh, setting up little places there at their house to be able to minister to families that come through. And here's why we're doing that. I want to show you. I have this, I set this up in my office. This, right here in the middle, you can't really see very well possibly, that's Southview Baptist Church. And what I do is I put a pin at the location of every home of a member of our church. And I keep this up in my office to be a reminder for me to where all we touch. I want to read a scripture to you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The idea is this. As Christians, as we go out, we're taking with us the fragrance and aroma of Christ so that everywhere we go, people notice Christ. They, they, they quite literally smell Jesus on you. And I have this up as a reminder because my desire and my vision for us at Southview is not... Our goal is not to see how many people we can get to come to this tiny location to smell Christ. Our desire is that you come here for us to equip and train and empower you so that you go out to all these places and everywhere in all these places smell the glory of Christ. This, brothers and sisters, is how we're actually going to see Hope Mills, Fayetteville, Cumberland County, and beyond change for the glory of Christ. Not trying to see how many people we can fit in this building, but how many people in this building can go out and smell like Jesus in their neighborhoods, at their job, where they go to school. This is the goal. So, what I want us to do today is to take just a moment to pray for this coming Saturday. For the 20-plus families represented on this board and somewhere that are going to attempt to turn their homes, their front doors, their driveways into opportunities for people, families to get a whiff of the glory and grace and power and life change of Jesus Christ. That is what we do. So I want to take a minute and want to pray for us. And if you are one of those families who are doing this, praise the Lord for you. I want to pray specifically for you. Um, if, if you're in here and you're one of those families, can you just throw your hand up real quick? Do we have any families in here that are doing the Halloween outreach? We've got a couple, couple, couple. Good. Excellent. Um, Let's just take a minute and pray for all of our families that are doing this this Saturday and for all the families they're going to interact and engage with and for all the families represented on this board that we will, by God's grace, take the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you saved us 
and you made us new. And I thank you, Jesus, that you now send us out in triumphal procession, the scripture says. We go out in victory, taking the fragrance, the aroma of the beauty, the perfume of Christ with us everywhere we go. You ever had someone walk by you and they're, and they're wearing a cologne or a perfume that smells so good and immediately you go, oh wow. You immediately notice them. That is the way Jesus talks about our life in Christ. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, for our families this coming weekend that will be using their homes as a Halloween outreach. I ask you, Jesus, that they would, by your grace, live out, proclaim, express the beautiful aroma, perfume, of you, Jesus. And as the people go up and engage with them, it won't just simply be grab some candy and walk out, but it will be an opportunity for them to smell the beautiful aroma of Christ. And I pray for every person represented on this board, every family, every home, every neighborhood, that we would, Lord, by your grace, go everywhere Expressing, proclaiming, living out the aroma of Christ. Do this in us. And I pray, Lord, today, right here in this room, as we sing, as we worship, as we pray, as we open up your word, we'll just, we just get a whiff whiff of you, Jesus. We just want more of you. Do this in us today for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Yes, stand with us as we celebrate God as our portion. He is our inheritance. He is our salvation. He is our hope. We have a reason to sing today. Salvation is here. Let's sing. God above all the world in motion. God above all my hopes and fears. And I don't care what the world throws at me now. It's going to be Celebrate! Hear the sound of the generations Making loud our freedom song All in all that the world may know your name It's gonna be alright Cause I know my God saved the day And I know His word never fails Salvation is here. Let's sing that again, church. God above on the world in motion. God above on my hopes and fears. And I don't care what the world throws at me now. No, it's going to be all right because I know my God saved the day.
God amazing church and we have a reason to celebrate whether five or five thousand people are in the room with us today the truth is that our God never fails and Ephesians reminds us for by the grace by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast our God saves name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We're gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. We sing that together. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings. And the world will see that our God saves, our God saves, there is hope in your name. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, name of the Spirit, 
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Let's celebrate together, church. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third and break of dawn, the sun of heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the Have a seat, find a Bible, you can, First 
Peter chapter 3. What a great song to, to lead us into our time in the Word, praising God who does miraculous and amazing things. We're in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3 today. If you have a Bible, find there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the back of the pew in front of you. It's going to be page 1114 in your pew Bible if you need that. Today, as we go through our, our study on 1 Peter, we're looking at how we, as exiles and aliens, people who are not from this place, this is not our ultimate home, our ultimate home is heaven, our ultimate king and authority is Jesus, so as people who are really not of this earth that are living here, how do we do marriage and family? As followers of Jesus Christ, as aliens on this planet, we are to do marriage and family differently than the world does. So the question we're going to answer today is, how do we do that then? What does that look like? So today we're going to answer the question, how do we, as followers of Christ, strangers and aliens on this planet, how do we deal with imperfect spouses? And let's get this out of the gate first and foremost. Every person in this room who is married is married to an imperfect spouse. Every person in this room who's one day going to get married, you're going to get married to an imperfect spouse. I know you don't think that. You're like, oh no, we're soulmates. Give it time, sweet pea. It'll get there, all right? You're going to be married to someone who is imperfect. Every one of us. Every one of us are fallen human beings with a proclivity to sin, selfishness, and rebellion. So the question is, what do we do about that? Marriage was the first reality show. God just put a couple of sinners, threw them in a house together and said, let's see what happens. Let's film it. What do we do? How do we handle this? As we walk through this text today, I want to encourage you with one thing as well. I understand that in the room today, we may have individuals who are walking through some extremely difficult and painful marriage situations. And I want to encourage you here this morning, okay? The scriptures say that Jesus is gentle and kind and patient, tender to those who are bruised up and hurt. Says a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. What that means is this. If you're busted up and bruised up in life, you can trust Jesus. He's going to be gentle with you. Psalm 119.50 says, In my affliction, this was my comfort, that your promises give me life. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the scriptures today asking the Holy Spirit to speak very clearly to us. Fill us with life. So how do we live with handle, walk in victory with imperfect spouses. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, ladies first. I know you're thinking, no, that's okay, you don't have to. No, ladies first. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, how do you, what do you do with an imperfect husband? What do you do with an imperfect husband? Number one is this. 
you practice supernatural submission. Let's just go ahead and get that one right out of the gate, shall we? I know many of you would rather I use the other S word this morning, but sorry, submission is our S word today. What is submission? Well, first let's chat about what submission is not, all right? Submission, biblical submission, number one, is not being okay with abuse in any form or fashion. That is not biblical submission. That is not okay. If you are here today and you are experiencing abuse at the hand of your husband, I encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, I encourage you to call the police. I encourage you to do that. Number two, if you or your husband are members here at our church, I encourage you to call us. We want to help you. If it's a legitimate safety issue, we want to help you get somewhere safe so we can get this thing figured out. If he's a member of our church, we've done this before here and we will do it again. We've sat down with a guy and said, look, man, we love you. You're a brother. And because we love you, we've got to be honest. You're sinning against your wife and you've got to repent. What you're doing is not okay. What you're doing is not honoring Christ. And you've got to quit that trash. We've got no problem doing that. Right? Being okay with that, thinking that that's going to be all right, that is not biblical submission. Biblical submission is not the belief that women are just inherently inferior to men. That is not biblical submission. That is not what the Bible teaches. You're going to see here in verse 1, likewise, likewise wives be subject to your own husbands. What we're going to talk about today is a specific thing for two specific people. The idea with submission is not that all women are to submit themselves to all men. No! I have two daughters. I am not teaching them that they are inferior to men or that they must submit themselves to all men. That is dumb and dangerous. That is not what biblical submission is. When my daughters were born, we dedicated them to the Lord. When they turn 18, I'm buying them a concealed carry permit, all right? We do not. Some men you need to shoot, not submit to. That is not biblical submission. Also, ladies, biblical submission is not a reward for your husband's good behavior. Biblical submission is not, I'll submit to him when he gets his act together. I will submit to him when he does what's right. I'll submit to him when he stops being dumb. That isn't biblical submission either. So what is biblical submission? Let me give you a little definition. It's not going to be on the screen. You have to write it down if you want to make notes. Biblical submission is placing yourself under the leadership of your husband because you trust God and want to walk by faith in him. Those two are very important. You see what I'm saying here? Biblical submission is placing yourself under the leadership of your husband, yes. But you do not do that because your husband is awesome. You do not do that because your husband never makes a dumb decision. And you do not do that because your husband is, is just the epitome of walking righteousness. You place yourself under the leadership of your husband because you trust God. You want to walk by faith in him. 
and see what happens as a result. This is why I call it supernatural submission. You do not submit to your husband because that's just your place and your role. You submit to your husband because when you do that, something supernatural happens. Look at this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Something supernatural happens when a wife submits to her husband because she trusts God. It says your husband will be one. It literally means you gain your husband. And look at the way it describes the guy. If some do not obey the word, that, that word of the Greek, do not obey, it's a strong, intense word. It doesn't mean that they simply don't do what's right. It means they are hard, rebellious, obstinate to God. These aren't men who just don't obey. These are men who are anti-obedience. And the point is, he's telling you, there's no such thing as a too far gone case. There's no such thing as a man that's too far gone and too hard-hearted and too rebellious. Even if they are absolutely stone-cold anti-obedience to God, they may be one without a single word from you ever being spoken. Why? Verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. That you would be respectful and pure. Do you respect your husband? What does respect look like? Respect does not mean, again, that you wipe your knuckles and grit your teeth and say, Okay, fine. Respect does not look like you saying the right thing and then trashing him to your family or friends. Respect does not look like you rolling your eyes to your kids about him. You respect him. And you respect him because you, again, trust God. And again, I want you to focus on what happens as a result. They are one without a word being spoken. God literally says... I am going to do I, You don't have to do it. You submit because you believe God's power to work in your husband's life is greater than your power to work in your husband's life. That's where it's got to figure it out here today, okay? Who do you believe has the greatest ability to impact your husband? You or God? Who are you trusting most in the sanctification of your husband? You or God? It's a very important question that every woman, every wife in the room needs to kind of look in the mirror and settle in your heart today. What's most important to you? You winning an argument or God winning your husband? What's the most important thing? You winning the day or God winning his heart? Submit. Place yourself under the leadership of your husband, not because he's doing everything perfect, but because God does everything perfect. And you trust him. And something supernatural happens in the midst of all of this. God wins his heart. Especially a man who's walking in rebellion and disobedience. He sees you responding in a completely other way. His heart is stirred. There's something different and weird and awkward about that. That goes completely contrary and opposite to everything that the world throws at us. 
God uses that to trigger in his heart and win him. So ladies, you're, you have an imperfect husband. What do you do? First, you practice supernatural submission. Second is this, starting in verse 3. You cultivate inner beauty. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You cultivate inner beauty. So if you jump up in verse 3, it says, do not let your adorning be external. And then it describes the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that you wear. The point of this is not that for a, a, a biblical wife, they have to avoid or ignore or, or, or push away anything external. Health, beauty, uh, nutrition, exercise. That's not the point. The point is that you can't do those things or enjoy those things or walk. That's not the point. The point is, in verse 3, that word adorning, ador, ador, not adorning, that's not in your Bible, but adorning is, that's an interesting word. The word adorning means to, with great care and meticulousness, arrange something in just the perfect way. And what he's saying is this. Let your ultimate care, concern, and meticulous work be done on your inner beauty more so than your outer. One of the struggles that Christian women can fall into is attempting to cover up inner faults with outer beauty, outer appearance. Exhibit A, I give you Instagram. The whole point is a picture of, you know, usually you. Which again, use that. The point is, where is your primary focus? The external or the internal? What is your primary concern? Making sure the external is meticulous and right, or making sure the internal is meticulous and right? Do not let the adorning be external, verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. As you seek to address the internal uh, uh, self more than the external, what you begin to develop is what's called here a gentle and quiet spirit. So let's unpack that for a moment. Gentle and quiet. Gentle, right? You're, you're, you're meek. You're, you're, you're tender, right? You're, you're soft. And the word quiet is very significant. It's important. And I need you to hear this. It doesn't mean silent. The word quiet means peaceful. He does not say that a godly, submissive wife is gentle and silent, gentle and peaceful. It is possible, it is right, it is good for a godly, biblical, submissive wife to have thoughts and opinions and ideas and questions to say, why exactly are you doing that and why exactly aren't you doing that? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you need to be doing those things if you can do them in a way that is Gentle and peaceful. 
This does not mean that a biblical wife is an introvert. This does not mean that a biblical wife is a little flower in the corner. What this means is a biblical wife with an imperfect husband seeks first and foremost to cultivate and grow an internal beauty and walk in intimacy with Jesus. And this is going to result in you walking in gentleness and peace towards your husband, which God says is imperishable and very precious. When you have an imperfect husband, focus more on the internal beauty than the external. And as you do this, God again moves greatly and miraculously through that to work in your husband's heart. And then third, look at this. Ladies, with an imperfect husband, what does God want you to do? He wants you to grow in faith. So look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. Verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So the practical takeaway point here is not going to be verse 6, you have to call your husband Lord. I tried that this week, it doesn't work. Guys, just forget it. All right, scratch it. It's not going to work. The point here, and I love this, God uses Sarah and Abraham as an example. This is so cool, I love this. Perfect example of the fact that the Bible is filled with a horribly, horribly flawed people. And the point isn't that you walk in perfection, but that you grow in faith. Sarah, she, he's a Sarah here as an example. Sarah was married to Abraham. Sarah was married to a horribly flawed, imperfect man. You know how imperfect Abraham is? He gave his wife to another man twice to save his own life. You ever done something stupid, guys, and you just thought, I do not want to be in the car on the drive home from this party. I don't want to do that. Oh, can you imagine the camel ride home from that one? Imagine the second time riding home. You did it again. You did it again. Sarah was married to a horribly, horribly flawed man. And Sarah was a horrifically flawed wife. God promised that they were going to have a child. And she trusted God so much, she laughed in his face. And then when she didn't see the promise coming to fruition, she got her husband to go marry and and, and be intimate with another woman. That couldn't possibly go wrong. Both Abraham and Sarah were horrifically flawed husbands and wives. But the point isn't that they were perfect. The point is that they grew. As you look at Abraham and Sarah at the beginning of their marriage versus the end of their marriage, you see a radical trajectory of growth here. The point is not that you are nailing it in perfection today. The point is, are you willing today to set yourself before God and say, I submit myself to you and I want to grow. I want to trust you, Lord. I want to trust you and walk by faith. I may not be getting it perfect today, but by your grace, Lord, I'm going to be doing it much better tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. I'm going to grow. This is what Abraham and Sarah did. They grew in their faith. And I love the last line there in verse 6. Sarah and Abraham, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good. And do not fear anything that is frightening. I love that last line, and it's so, I think, again, we talk about growing in faith for women in this. This is an important line. Do not fear anything that's frightening. 
So we've got four kids. A couple of them are younger. And so if you ever have kids or younger kids, they, they get frightened of things, right? You ever had a kid get frightened in the middle of the night? I don't know about you, but when I go in there, typically what I say to them is something along the lines of, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing under your bed. The dark can't hurt you. We're right across the hall. There is nothing to be afraid of. I find it so interesting. That's not what God tells wives here. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because there's nothing to be afraid of. He says, don't fear the thing that is terrifying. Submitting to your husband. Don't fear what is frightening. He doesn't look at wives and just say, you're supposed to just get it together, get it together. You're supposed to just do the whole submit thing, so just be quiet and do it. He has such grace. Again, Jesus is so gentle and tender and gracious. He knows this can, for some of you, be terrifying. What if it doesn't work out? What if this all falls apart? What if we get ruined financially? What if he never changes? What if what you're telling me to do here doesn't work? It can be frightening. And he doesn't say, don't be afraid because there's nothing to be afraid of. He says, do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What God desires for you today, ladies, is that you would grow in faith in Him. Trust Him. You submit to your husband, placing yourself under his leadership because you trust God. You focus first and foremost on cultivating the inner beauty rather than the external beauty because you know that's most important because you trust God. You seek to constantly grow in faith and grow in faith and grow in faith because you know at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you trust God. And as you trust him, you're going to be empowered to walk in this and by God's grace, see the Lord do a wonderful thing in your husband. You have an imperfect husband. So does my wife. And God's calling you today is that you would practice supernatural submission, that you would cultivate the inner beauty you would seek to grow in faith in him, trusting him as you walk through this. Now for guys, verse 7 is our guys. Gentlemen, what do you do if you're married to an imperfect wife? How do you address this? How do you handle this? Again, for guys, every man in this room is married to an imperfect wife. She's a fallen human being, seeking to walk by faith in Jesus. Possibly she's a believer, hopefully, but still imperfect What do you do? How do you do marriage differently than everybody else? Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, I'm going to pull out four things here for guys, all right? Ladies get three, you get four. First is this. Submit your needs for hers. You as men must submit your needs for hers. Look at the beginning of verse 7 there again. It says, likewise husbands. Likewise husbands. 
As you go through the text there, this is actually the, the fourth in a row of, 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 of these submission requirements. Verse 13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. And then there in verse 7, likewise, husbands. The idea is it's still treading on this theme of, theme of submission. Husbands, submit your needs for hers. Now, as husbands submit, that doesn't mean that you submit to her and her leadership. It means you submit your needs for her needs. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Jesus when it was talking about husbands and wives in marriage, it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life for her. Gentlemen, it's extremely important for you to understand. Male headship does not mean you get to do whatever you want to do. Male headship means you're required by God to do what you're supposed to do. Male headship does not mean that you have the freedom to live your life however you want. Male headship means you have the responsibility to lay your life down for her. You submit Maybe you grew up in a home where you had a father or a grandfather or a male mentor that modeled something drastically different. Maybe you grew up in a situation where you had a a man that saw himself as the center of the universe and everyone else in the house just kind of revolved around him. This is not biblical headship. Biblical headship is a husband submitting his needs for his wife's needs. Seeking to take care of her above himself. Gentlemen, you have an imperfect wife. What do you do? You constantly, constantly seek to place her needs above your needs. What if she's not worthy of it? You weren't worthy for Jesus to lay his life down for you. In Ephesians 5 where it says... Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And again, it talks about how Christ laid his life down for her. Sometimes, oftentimes, the, the, the practical application for that you'll hear people talk about is, well, Jesus died for his wife, so you need to be willing to die for, or died for you, so you need to be willing to die for your wife. My issue with that is this. That's, I think, a cop-out. Being willing to die for your wife, I think, is a really silly cop-out. I don't think there's a man in this room, if you leave this room right here today and you got to swing by Walmart because you're just aching for punishment or something, I don't know. But you got to swing by Walmart. You're walking through the Walmart parking lot and you see a woman being accosted. You see a woman being harassed. You see a woman being abused, someone trying to kidnap a woman. I don't think there's a man in the room that wouldn't immediately sprint three lanes over and jump into that situation not having any idea what awaits you. Without even thinking about it, you jump right in to protect a woman you don't even know. I think being willing to die for your wife is a bit of a cop-out. The point is, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for you when you hated him. When you were a rebel. When you did not return with love and affection. He died for you while you were still a sinner. So when it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, and when we say here, husbands, submit your needs for her needs, it is especially true if she doesn't 
respect it, appreciate it, thank you for it. If she doesn't hold up her end of the deal, if she doesn't show you respect and honor and submission, you lay down your needs for hers, especially then. Because that's what Jesus did for you. Submit your needs for her needs. Second, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That word understanding means to to gain knowledge. So the idea is this. You as a husband are to become an expert on your wife. You know what makes her tick. You know what she thinks. You know what she likes, what she doesn't like, her love language, her hates, her likes, what, what, what makes her happy, what makes her upset. You are an expert on your wife, and then you use that information in a way to bless your wife. Right? You, you, you seek to understand her, to, to get into her shoes, to understand what she's thinking. Be empathetic. Honest to goodness. Here's homework for today, guys. Go home and take a few minutes just thinking, what must it be like to be married to you? Now, I didn't hear a single man say amen when I talked about the wives. But when we switch it, all the ladies are like, yes, preach. But seriously. If I had to be married to Brad Lynch, one of us are going to die. Right? That's, that's not going to last long. Dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Seek to understand what is it like to be married to me and called by God to submit to me. What would that feel like? What would that be like? Seek to understand her and then use that knowledge to greater bless her. Especially if she's imperfect. You understand her imperfections and you seek to build her up there, not use those against her. Every guy in the room, right, if you grew up playing sports, if you were in the military, you're in business, what's the point? Find a weakness, exploit it, and win. Right? If you're... if. If you're playing basketball and you know the guy cannot dribble with his left hand, what are you doing? You're making him go left. Why? Because you want to beat him and humiliate him. You find the weakness and you use it to win. The point of understanding your wife is you find the weakness and you seek to use it to be a blessing and lift her up there. Find where she is imperfect. Pray for her there. Encourage her there. Love her there. Be, be a, a, a safe place for her there. Dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Third, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You treat her as precious and valuable. So when it says here, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel, that doesn't mean that, again, women are inferior or or just inherently weak and feeble and brittle. That's not what he's talking about here. What he is talking about, a couple of things. One, on a practical level, men usually, typically are bigger. What he's saying is this. Don't seek to just intimidate your wife. Don't just bow up and be loud. Don't shout her down. Don't don't do those things. You, You show her honor. You treat her as precious and valuable. 
Think of it like this. See your wife as this valuable vase. Right? You put it in a place of honor. You put it in a place where everybody's going to see it. And you make sure it doesn't get knocked over and broken. You seek to protect it and care for it. In the same way, it's saying treat your wife as precious and valuable. She's not a, a tool in your toolbox. She's not something that can be treated haphazardly. She's a precious and valuable gift from God. And should be treated as such. Again, especially as we're talking about walking with life with imperfect spouses. You see your wife for who she is in Christ and you show her value and honor for that. You don't let her imperfections be what you, 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 you highlight. You highlight who she is in Christ and who Jesus says she is. And you treat her as precious and valuable. And then last, you see her as a daughter of God. Look at the last part of verse 7 there. You do all this since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Heir, they're, they're, they're fellow heirs. They're children of God that inherit all the same things that you inherit. Your wife is God's daughter. Treat her in a way where daddy's not going to get mad. Again, I've got two daughters. And if there comes a day where I... I give them to a young man in marriage. And I find out that that young man is mistreating or abusing her. First thing I'm going to think is, I own a gun and a shovel, right? We can make this problem disappear super quick. Then I'm like, no, Jesus, save me from me, Jesus. Save me from me. It's not right. That's not right. But if we as imperfect fallen men immediately it wells up in us. Oh no, you didn't talk to my daughter like that? So help me. If that immediately wells up in you, let it sink in, gentlemen. You, you've been entrusted with God's daughter. And he takes that extremely seriously. That's a big deal. So big, he, he, he tells you something. They're heirs with you of the grace of life. Look at the last line of verse 7. Do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word hindered literally means to cut off someone's path. Just you block it where they can't go. Literally what he's saying is this. If you mistreat your wife, I'm cutting you off. I don't want to talk to you. Don't bring your prayers to me. I don't want to hear any of that. You treat my daughter the way I've told you to treat my daughter. Then come back and let's talk. If a, if a man comes to me and says, and I'm, I'm really struggling with my prayers. I feel like they're just hitting the ceiling. Nothing's happening there. One of the first questions I'm going to ask is, tell me about your relationship with your wife. Is everything okay there? It may not be the reason that you feel like your prayers are going nowhere, but, but it's, we got a verse. It's a place to start. Treat your wife. Like the daughter of God she is. And if she's imperfect, we all are. You treat her like a daughter of God. If she doesn't return to you what God's word tells her to do, it doesn't matter. You treat her in the way that you're called to treat her. You live with her in the way you're called to live with her. Not because of her, but because of your relationship with God. 
For both husbands and wives, this comes down to the the real crux of all of this. Marriage is the union of two imperfect people brought together in this imperfect relationship, but all is done by a perfect God, and He seeks to, through imperfect people in an imperfect marriage, bring much glory and honor to Him. And for you today, as a husband and as a wife, I want to encourage you. The most important thing for your marriage is not the relationship with your spouse. The most important thing for your marriage is your relationship with Jesus. I want to read one more scripture to you. It's Ephesians chapter 5, 32 and 33. Speaking about marriage, it says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the husband see that she respects her husband. As you go through Ephesians 5, what the Apostle Paul does is he constantly is weaving back and forth between marriage and, the Christian, and, and your walk with Christ. Marriage and the church. Husband and wife, Christ and the church. He's constantly kind of weaving back and forth in that Ephesians 5 passage. And the idea is this. There's so, such a close connection between you and your spouse and you and Jesus. And the only way you're going to have a growing and vibrant relationship with your spouse is if you have a growing and vibrant relationship with Jesus. So my encouragement for you today is not just simply to treat your wife better or treat your husband better. That's, that's not the answer. You should, but that's not the answer. The answer is you seek to walk in submission to Jesus. You seek to walk in intimacy with Jesus. And God will bring powerful union with you and your wife. So here's what I wanted to do this morning as we close. We're going to close a little bit different. Um, I'm going to ask actually my wife to come up. And, and we're just going to spend a little time this morning Praying. I'm going to ask Marie to pray for wives. I'm going to pray for husbands. And we're just going to ask the Lord to to do what only He can do. And again, my, my great encouragement for you this morning is The most important relationship in your life is not you and your spouse. The most important relationship in your life is you and Jesus. You seek to grow in intimacy with Jesus, and you will be greatly empowered to grow in intimacy with your spouse. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads just for a moment. And Marie, would you be so kind as to pray for the wives here this morning that God would... um, Do in their hearts what he needs to do and that they will trust him. Just pray for them. Father, this morning I I thank you for this word. I I thank you for the challenge and just what has been stirred in my own heart is I've just laid my heart before you. And Lord, I know that there's not a sister in this room that doesn't want to obey you and obey your word. God, I pray. I, I just thank you for the way that you have saved my marriage. Um, 
I just pray for humility of mind because you said that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So I thank you, Father, that you are welling up humility of mind in each one of my sisters this morning. And Father, we confess that if we have let um, offense or expectations creep into our heart and just kind of take a little ground there that shouldn't be there, I pray that you forgive us for that. I thank you that you're going to restore gentleness and peace to our heart because we trust you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that my sisters this morning, I just sense in my own heart just a yearning for more intimacy with you, Lord, and that you are so gentle and that you will teach us how to esteem our husbands even better than ourselves. And we won't, it won't be a gritting of the teeth. It won't be a white knuckling. It will just be pure. Bless them this morning. I thank you for the bride that you are making without spot or wrinkle. We just bless you this morning, Jesus. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Lord, I pray for the husbands. Lord, I pray that we would, by your grace, Lord, be filled with humility. So much pride and selfishness has caused me to bring heartache and difficulty into my marriage. I pray, Lord, that you would set us free from that. We would submit to you in that, repent of that sin. We trust you. We walk in humility with you. And by your grace, Lord, we would seek to lay our lives down every day for our wives because you laid your life down for us even when we weren't worthy, even when we sinned and rebelled. I pray, Lord, for us that we would lay our lives down for our wives, that we would seek to understand them and cherish them, see them as as your daughters. Lord God, I pray for healing and reconciliation in marriages in this room today. Pray, Lord, that you would allow today to be the beginning, the starting point for much healing. I pray, Lord, that every person in the room will begin first looking at themselves instead of their spouse. And they would, by your grace, seek, Lord, to walk themselves in submission to you. Trusting you for whatever else you're going to do in their spouse. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.